And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 196 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, time of recording, 11.07 a.m. on May 31st, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Nicole Ackman. Hi, everybody. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Here we are. Yes, here we are indeed. Um, This has been a very difficult week for a number of uh, different reasons. Obviously, we're still going through a pandemic, um, but... As you all are aware, uh, there was a truly horrific uh, video of the murder of uh, George Floyd in um, uh, Minneapolis uh, that was released on Monday. And since then, there have been protests all throughout the country for the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. And it's... We, we've been here before. I think that's the thing that for me that's been sticking out the most is that this is not the first time something like this has happened. Um, but every time it continuously happens, the outrage is louder and louder and the cry is louder and louder and still nothing changes and nothing gets done. Um, you know, you hope that something can change systematically within the justice system and that at the end of the day, uh, I don't think you'll ever be able to cure racism. I don't think you'll ever be able to cure hate. But what you can do is you can hold the people that commit violent acts accountable and bring justice upon them. And that is where our system, our institutions have failed us time and time and time again. And Yes, modern technology has made it possible for these um, for these moments to be uh, broadcast for the world to see. And I, I enough is enough at this point. And I, I don't know what else it will take. And it's clear um, from what has been happening that people are resorting to a lot of different means to try and get. Um, as much attention on this matter as humanly possible so that people will be called into action, even despite the fact that we are going through a pandemic right now. This is an issue that uh, transcends that and goes back hundreds of years and is a terrible, terrible, awful stain on American history that has never, ever been fully eradicated. And... I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't know like when we first started um, heading into today's show what kind of a tone I was going to take with this or what I was going to say. Um, But I wanted to be very, very clear that 
the entire Next Best Picture team stands along with the protesters, the Black Black Lives Matter movement. And um, we want nothing but justice for everyone, despite the color uh, of your skin. It's 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 a really really horrific thing and it really 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 saddens me especially and um i i'm i'm very very proud to see that there have been a lot of members in our community that are trying to help that are trying to do the right thing um i i i sometimes don't know what that is myself even and i i i try to do the right thing wherever i can and you know um all i'll say in regards to that is we are going to, um, for today's show, uh, talk a bit about some movies because that's what we do here. We talk about film and cinema. We're going to talk about some movies that hopefully will uh, educate and highlight some of the issues that they are seeing um, and display in the news uh, over the last couple of days. And hopefully it'll help people to understand uh, the perspectives that people are coming from with this uh, because it is a complex issue for some people to wrap their head around and to fully understand. But um, luckily for us, there have been lots of movies that have been released over time that have tried to talk about these issues. And um, another thing I'll just say before I pass it over to everyone else here is um, if you can make a donation to um, uh, local bonds to help protesters that have been jailed to get released, um, that is a very, very small, easy thing that you can do. Uh, take a look and see in your local area um, how you know w- what you can donate, and uh, those who de- get get arrested, um, you know, for peaceful protest. Um, there's a lot of video of unnecessary assault from police officers um, on people that they're getting thrown in jail for the night for just simply being there, and. And listen, I know that there are some bad people out there on both sides of the matter, and there are people that uh, definitely are uh, causing destructive property and looting and are doing it for the sake of just doing it. Um, There have been things caught on camera, interviews conducted on the streets that prove that sort of thing. Majority of people are not doing that. Majority of people, um, even the ones that are sometimes, uh, you know, taking it to another degree um they're in deep pain and they're hurting and they need the world to know that they are hurting so with that said um i want to pass it over to the rest of the team here uh and if there's anything that anybody wants to say at all please the floor is yours um that's that's all i have to say uh though on the matter for now um yeah you know Coming into this, uh, it was certainly something that I knew that we couldn't just ignore. Um, there are very important world events happening right now. And I think that for me, the only thing that strikes me is just how overwhelming it feels, just both in this moment and just recognizing the years and just the years that we've been seeing this for a very, very long time. And I just want everybody out there just to know that I understand that pain and I understand that frustration and know that there isn't a single person um, on this team at Next Best Picture or in this community that we've built up that doesn't feel that in some way or another. Um, I agree with you, Matt, that the best thing that you could do is to seek out places to donate, to seek out places that could use your 
volunteering and organization because this is such a systemic problem that this country's never really dealt with. And um, my only hope for right now is that we are in a moment that enlightens some people and brings it home and realizes that just because the protesting might have subsided for now, that doesn't mean the problem has been eradicated. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of active change and thinking about these problems in order to solve it. So um, it has definitely been a very rough couple of days uh, and it's very, very painful, but I hope that we can really come out the other end of this with a new perspective, especially for people that maybe haven't really thought about it in the same way before. So I, I would just want people to know that it is in all of our minds and we are looking towards a better future for sure. I just want to add that um, I think that no matter who you are or where you are, there's something that you can do to help. Obviously, sharing information uh, on social media is a step. Uh, particularly if you're able to share places that people can donate, petitions that they can sign. But it's also important that we are donating if you're able. And if you're not able, there's also petitions to sign. You can call. Um, you can find a lot of places online where you can call different police offices to, um, you know, kind of demand that they hold these these cops to justice. You can honestly have those difficult conversations with the people in your lives, because I think that for a lot of us, white people in particular, we might think that, well, we're not racist, which first of all, everyone has some inherent racism, I think. And I think that confronting that is the first step. And we are also benefiting from racist structures. But I think we all have that family member or that friend who says things. And I think it's time that we make sure that we call them out on it and that we educate them because that is something that we're in a position to do. Um, so basically, Take the actions that you can. Not everyone can donate, and I totally recognize that. But there are other things that you can do to not be complacent. Yeah, and there's a lot you can do. Of course, we talked about donating and looking at petitions, everything that you see online but might not extend beyond a Facebook or Twitter post. Uh, look to grassroots activism, stuff going on in your community, whether it's seeing what sort of peaceful protest you have in your town or even something looking ahead, we have a big election coming up and a lot of the power comes from the top down. So see what you can do in your community to take a positive step forward because we're going to need that in the coming months. I, w I want to echo what Michael just said about the election that's coming up. Um, a large reason why hate has been so amplified over the last couple of years is that the people who hold uh, that hatred in their heart have felt empowered more than ever to express it and they feel protected by the system. They don't care that cell phones are being used to capture these acts on camera. And to Michael's point, it starts from the top down. And that is something that as an American, you have every right to be able to go out and actually make a change. It may not be the change, there are other changes that do need to take place for sure, but it is once again an example of a uh, small yet big change uh, that can totally change the tone, the perspective, and the direction, hopefully, that this country is heading in. Because the alternative, I guarantee you, is not just more of this, but it will most likely be worse than it ever has been mm. before. And that's something you can even do from the comfort of your own home. I know we're still living through a pandemic. So most people don't want to 
be out in the middle of the streets and risk getting COVID-19, joining a committee or grassroots activism can be done from the comfort of your own home over a Google Hangout or a Zoom call or making phone calls in some way. So don't think it has to put your life at risk in order to take a step. And, I, and it is so important to find um, to find these efforts within your own communities too. Like it, mm-hmm. I think it'd be easy sometimes if you don't live particularly in these places where you're seeing videos of all of these protesting of all this protesting going on that it can seem somewhat disconnected from you. But it isn't. Like this is a problem that is not just in big cities. This is entirely spread out throughout the country from years and years of oppression and and violent tactics that we've seen. So it is incredibly important to become organized and become invested, not just in a very broad scheme, but very locally too, because that is the most effective place that you can enact some kind of change. And I just want to tell all our listeners that um, we love you. And if you are going out because you feel the need to and you feel like you don't want to be cooped up in your homes and you have to do something about this, then more power to you. And just please, please be safe, as safe as you possibly can, at least in terms of preparing yourself against, you know, the fact that we are still in a pandemic and do what you got to do. But, you know, be smart, be safe. And Mm -hmm. fight the power. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's let's talk about some things that are going on uh, in the industry over the last couple of days. Um, Something... it, you know, I, I wanted to say for the record, it, it is it is admittedly on my end a little hard to get excited right now about anything um, with everything that is going on. But in order for just mental health sake, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to remain positive as much as humanly possible. Um, so, for example, on June 3rd at uh, 6 p.m., uh, uh, we're going to get the Cannes Film Festival uh, lineup announcement uh, for this year, the official selection of movies. Um I have to admit, I'm excited. I don't know what form it's going to take. It seems like every film festival nowadays that announces a lineup uh, is, you know, a little underwhelming because it's not the movies that we're most looking forward to in terms of award season or some big high profile films. But I I do have this feeling that with Cannes in particular, I think we're going to see our first real example of um, some major contenders, especially in the international uh, markets for world cinema as well. I think what we already know is that uh, The Five Bloods is going to be part of the selection. I thought that the uh, move to the June uh, release date was to get around that. Yeah, Yeah, I think I read something where even though it's going to be straight to Netflix, they're... It was originally going to play out of competition, I heard, at Cannes yes. before that was canceled. So I think I read something about there still being a Cannes seal of approval, even when it goes to Netflix, like the little uh, logo that pops up before the movie starts. Mm. So it's still a Cannes selection, even though you're not watching it through the festival. Gotcha. I may have misread that. So we'll know when it drops on June 12th. But I know that they were looking to have a play there when the festival was still intact. Yeah. 
Oh, no, I hear you on that. Okay, all right. And another uh, bit of news as of uh, two nights ago, um, we have now learned that the Telluride Film Festival has every intention of moving forward as well with an extra day added this year to implement uh, social distancing and other measures that they will take uh, to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. I don't know what that looks like. I... I know that no matter what, I'm probably going to end up going if I'm being completely honest with you all. Um, I, 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 and then, and then you heard the news about Netflix. Uh, they've announced that they're not actually going to release any of their uh, major films at any of the fel- uh, major film festivals this season. And quite frankly, I was a little taken aback by this decision at first because I'm thinking, oh, Hillbilly Elegy, Mank, uh, not going to premiere at NYFF, Telluride, Toronto. You know, we don't even know if some of these are still happening, obviously. Uh, but I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought to myself. You know what? That's probably for the best. They already are going to have the large platform for their rollout. They haven't been hit as hard as the other movie studios have been hit by the pandemic. So actually, you know, in the end, it's actually not a bad balance, if you ask me. So one thing I do wonder, though, going forward is just what an award season does look like with such an altered space for film festivals, because these are places that normally are the springboard for many of these campaigns. And Mm to either not have them or have them be significantly altered in this way. I I am very fascinated in terms of what we can expect from these campaigns because in the past they've been so essential. Yeah, I mean, no one was looking at Green Book as a potential Best Picture winner until it <laughs> premiered at TIFF. Right. Or Parasite winning the Palm d'Or. I mean, yeah, that was huge sure. for that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see some of the creativity that we've watched happen in the spring, like when a movie has a premiere. No one's going to the red carpet, obviously. So the studios will send like tickets to people who were set to go and then send over dinner through Postmates or Uber Eats and make an event out of it. So I think you could still have those like glamorous campaigning events as a way to make up for, hey, we're not all in a room together giving out an award like this. There are ways to maybe make it more communal from your living room. Mm. In terms of uh, upcoming releases uh, that, you know, have been impacted by COVID-19, Edgar Wright's uh, latest film, Last Night in Soho, officially now moved to April 23rd, 2021. That's uh, been moved. We also uh, found out that the Sundance film Palm Springs with uh, Andy Samberg uh, will now be released on Hulu in July. Um, foregoing a theatrical release as well. Although that's not to be, uh, sur- that's not surprising because uh, Neon and Hulu have been pretty much in cahoots um, mm-hmm. <laughs> for a while now with a lot of their uh, releases. So I'm not, I'm not surprised by that move. Not terribly surprised by that, but it is interesting that that was a movie that had like that record-breaking sale attached to it, and yes. to just go to Hulu is that I find rather interesting. Yeah, and Michael. I was going to say, if the theaters were back open and everything was going fine and dandy, then maybe you would have seen it have a limited release. But even then, it probably would have been a small release and then dropped on Hulu a few weeks later. So this is just cutting out that middleman. Oh, I I don't know. I think when you guys watch this movie, I think you're going to see that this probably had potential to be a breakout big summer comedy that could have made a lot of money. It's a a definite crowd pleaser with a very, very interesting hook on the uh, Groundhog Day premise. Also, too, uh, other big news in terms of forthcoming uh, movies. 
Uh, Paramount Pictures has partnered with Apple on Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio's Killers of the Flower Moon. They are the ones that are going to be fronting up the cash. Mm-hmm. $200 million of it for this project. Mind you, The Irishman carried a price tag of $150 million. What in God's name are those two cooking up? <laughs> I just hope it's not more de-aging technology. <laughs> on, on Leo? <laughs> Yeah. It would be like a Curious Case of Benjamin Button where Kate Blanchett's like, my God, you're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is going to be a big Western epic, from what I understand, uh, that takes place in the 1920s. It's a brutal story if you read about what actually happened there. But I think given the scope and size of this project, uh, give Marty what he wants. And that's for the movie itself, to quote Barney Gumble from The Simpsons, uh, just hook it to my veins. Really, I, I need this movie now. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. So moving on now from a bit of news, uh, we are going to now uh, discuss the polls really quick. And then we're going to uh, talk about a spotlight on uh, some of the movies, as I mentioned before, that will hopefully um, help people, educate people on some of the issues that they've been uh, witnessing on the news lately. Um, I didn't want to put that so much at the beginning because I, I, I'm trying to keep things light. <laughs> I'm trying to get, strike a nice balance here. Uh, all right. So last week's poll. Tenet, Christopher Nolan. Uh, we asked everyone, uh, which is their favorite Christopher Nolan film. We asked everyone this after the premiere of the uh, new Tenet trailer, which surely got a lot of people excited and talking. And there's been a lot of news reports about that movie, too, as well. And like Josh, I'm actually actively trying to avoid. I'll watch the trailer, but I'm avoiding like the press and the talks about the movie because I don't want like even the slightest hints as to what the movie is about. Even if Robert Pattinson has no idea what it's about, even while he's making it, <laughs> apparently. Uh, so I, 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 I'm trying really, really hard. But for Christopher Nolan films that we are very familiar with, that we have rewatched and watched a bunch of times, uh, we asked everyone which is their favorite. And I know we asked this question uh, last week. Let's ask it again to uh, refresh our listeners. Michael, favorite Christopher Nolan film is? Dunkirk. Okay. Josh Parm. It is still Interstellar. All righty. Dan Baer. The Prestige. Nicole Ackman. Unsurprisingly, Dunkirk. <laughs> All right. Let's find out what the MVP community has to say about it. Oh, my. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, pff, wow. All right. I'm a little surprised by this. Okay. All right. I'm going to rank them all in order. Here we go. Uh, number one. Sorry. Actually, let me rephrase that. <laughs> let's let's work away from the bottom and up to the top. Yeah. <laughs> so there's 10 movies here. Number 10 is Christopher Nolan's uh, debut film, Following. Which I like Following. It's not uh, yeah. the best, but it, it's a good movie. I do like yeah, it. Yeah, it is. Personally, it would not be in my bottom slot. I, I too, it's think not. Following is a very good film. Yeah. Uh, number nine is Insomnia. Oh, that's a wonderful film. 
I think that's an underrated one for sure. Yeah. I think that's one that people either haven't seen or they haven't given it they haven't given it another look in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you were to tell people that Christopher Nolan made a movie with Al Pacino and Robin Williams, they would be very, very surprised. I mean it's it's sort of one of those things where like it's good. Oh yeah. It's not it's not an all time great movie or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it's definitely like his probably his most conventional thing that he's done. Yeah, yeah. Well, did he write Insomnia? I think that's well, the only movie of his that he didn't write to. Right. Correct. It's yeah. the one that was based off of a Danish movie or Norwegian movie or something. Yeah, I know that it's a remake, but like Insomnia sort of gets looked at as like the one kind of like director for hire job that he's yeah. done. And it's yeah. a good movie, but it's the one from him that doesn't have the most kind of like identity in terms of his own style from it because it didn't originate from him. Right, exactly. Uh, number eight is Batman Begins. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, That's really? The, the Batman rises above that. Uh, I hate to say it. Yeah. Uh, number seven is The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, we got to flip flop that. I, I, mean, I agree. For my money, that is his worst movie. Like, yeah. And there's kind of same competition here. for me for that yeah. one. <laughs> I completely agree. I, I, and th- that's not to say that Dark Knight Rises, I think, is a bad movie. I think it's an incredibly flawed movie. I think it ha- it's a movie that has some elements that I do like in it, but overall, I would consider it to be a bad movie. Oof, yeah. Okay, well, I will say this. There is a huge jump, then, in terms of the vote totals uh, from Dark Knight Rises up to uh, the next one here. So, at number six... We have <sighs> Oh God. Dunkirk. That low? Wow. Yeah. That doesn't shock me, honestly, because there were a lot of people who didn't care for that movie that much. Well, and also, I think that when you're asking the question, what is your favorite of his movies, there are others that he's done that elicit a lot more passion than Dunkirk yeah, does. True. Like, I exactly. love Dunkirk also, but it would not be my number one pick. And I know for a lot of other people, there are other movies that they like maybe just a tad more than Dunkirk as well. I think that Dunkirk is, along with 1917, uh, the best war film of the last decade. Um, I think it's Nolan's best directed movie because the sheer level of practical ambition that he has with that is just, I think, astonishing. But I agree that it does not elicit the passion that you said there before uh, because it doesn't really have characters so much that you latch on to and follow through the course of this journey. Uh, Dan Bayer and I were talking about this a couple days ago. If Dunkirk had been like a three-hour movie where we got real character development and actually went on like like a, like a story through these characters' eyes over like a, like an epic like runtime, Dunkirk, for all intents and purposes, might be then regarded as one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> you know? I, like I like that it's so focused in on one specific yeah, thing. Yeah, me it's too. Quick and gives you this broad vibe. To me, seeing 1917 changed my opinion of Dunkirk because I was like, oh, there is a way to make an epic war movie like this. 
but still make me care about any of the people in it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the big difference between those two <laughs> yeah. movies where Dunkirk, I feel like, is like a general's macro uh, point of view, like look at a battlefield of pieces moving into place and it's kind of distant. Um, and in that regard, it's actually fascinating because there's not many war movies like it. Whereas 1917 is a true, you are there seeing this through this character's perspective the entire time and it's very intimate in its scope as a result. Um, they're very different, you know, they're polar opposites in that regard. Uh, but I can understand why one then gets a more emotional response from, you know, audiences as a result. Okay. Number five, halfway through, uh, Josh, we got this far. It's interstellar. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I will take it. I know that that movie is extremely polarizing and we will discuss that on a future podcast, but There's also, uh, I know a lot of people that are passionate about that movie as well, so I'm glad that it at least made the top five. Mm -hmm. Number four is The Prestige. I'm honestly kind of impressed that it scored higher than Dunkirk and Interstellar. (laughs) Well, The Prestige is one of those movies that I feel like now has gotten the reputation of being like the movie that... The, the Nolan movie that the people underrated like. underrated one, yeah. Yeah, especially, like, if you don't like the popular Nolan movies, it's sort of like, you know, I, I'm not denigrating your pick there. I'm sure that you... <laughs> no! Like, <laughs> I think for a lot of people, it is sort of like the hipster pick for the Christopher Nolan movie you like. <laughs> it absolutely is. It's the, like, well, I liked them back, you know, when they were in their indie days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though this was, like, not his indie days, period, at all. Right. He already made Batman Begins at that I point. Know. Like. <laughs> okay. Number three is my favorite, Memento. Should have been number one, but it's okay. pretty incredible. <laughs> and number one and number two of a difference of, believe it or not, a difference of 40 votes. It wasn't that close, actually. What do you guys think it is? Inception 2, Dark Knight 1. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Number two is The Dark Knight. Get oh, out of no. here. Oh. Number one is Inception. Good. Good. Finally, like I have to admit, I rewatched Inception, and I I still like that movie. I, I agree. The exposition bogs it down a little bit for me. Yeah, that, that is always the point of contention I have with that movie. Otherwise, I do love it. I think it's incredible, but... God, that expository dialogue just really gets in the way of my enjoyment of it. The thing is, is that the expository dialogue, like, that's what makes it not hold up well on rewatch. But, like, on a first viewing. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Damn. (laughs) It's just like the fact that it has to explain so much, it hurts the rewatch factor. Mm hmm. Okay. For this week's poll, the release of Shirley going to be uh, coming from Neon and Hulu uh, this week here, starring Odessa Young, Michael Stubarg, Elizabeth Moss, and Logan Lerman. Josephine Decker directed film. We are asking everyone for this week's poll, favorite Elizabeth Moss performance. Oh, God. Just mm. on film or in general? I was going to say we can't say Madman, right? <laughs> <sighs> I thought about this, I was considering it, and I have decided to keep it strictly to the film roles. Okay. I mean, I still have an answer for that anyway. <laughs> sure. I, I mean, I definitely, unquestionably, without a doubt, have to say her smell. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. In the moment when I was watching it, I hated this character. I detested everything about her. I found the movie grating and extremely hard to get through. And then somehow, some way, they pull off this brilliant magic trick in the third act. And Elizabeth Moss's performance sold it so well that I actually was like, oh, my God, I I will not have a problem rewatching this now. And I didn't when I rewatched it another time. And it only solidified for me that Elizabeth Moss was done dirty last year for, for her performance in that movie. And she deserved more. Oh, 100% agree. That performance is very, like, big and sometimes grating, but it works for the movie that it's in. And it's such a towering achievement. And you're right. She definitely deserved more attention, um, especially considering that there was uh, somebody else last year that maybe won an Oscar for a similar type of performance that got a lot of praise that maybe didn't need to get all that praise (laughs) and just made me even more upset that she was bypassed. Hmm. Well, I'm going with the one that I think many of you will have at number two, and that's The Invisible Man. She is so good in that, yeah. yeah. If Lupita Nyong'o could get some awards love last year, uh, I don't see any reason why Elizabeth Moss can't find her way into maybe the SAG conversation this year. With the field being what it is right now, too, I mean, yeah, yeah why not? I'm telling you, like they, if they're smart, they're going to start laying that groundwork now because she is the early favorite. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying this is her best performance, but my favorite performance of hers is actually in The Seagull, where she plays. Oh Marsha. yeah, she is yeah. so good in that movie, and that movie is very subpar in many ways. <laughs> oh yeah, but and I think to me it's very impressive that she gives such a good performance in a not very good movie. <laughs> yeah, um, no, totally. She's just fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a really underseen movie, and this is probably only because I haven't seen her smell, but she is uh, fantastic in Queen of Earth. Oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, mm. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, it is worth seeing. Like, it totally... Uh, presages what she's doing in The Invisible Man. Uh, it she, she's really, really good in it. This this ex- protracted breakdown that her character goes through is just it's mesmerizing to watch. And we're going to see her uh, next in the uh, the French Dispatch as well. She's part of that ensemble, so that's pretty exciting. Her career is uh, continuing to. Uh, I, I think she's actually at a point in her career right now where. Um, the praise is just never ending. She's continuously pushing herself and showing us new layers of what it is that she can do. She's always surprising us. And yeah, listen, on a personal level. Yeah, I mean, come on. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not hiding that aspect of it. But her talent is undeniable. Seriously. So but it's one of the one things that Scientologists we can uh, we can get behind. <laughs> It's one of those things that makes her acting almost more impressive. Maybe. Yeah. I think that's a good way of looking at it. That she's able to do that with believing the things she believes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I I hear you. Totally. All right. So head on over to the polls page of nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Favorite Elizabeth Moss performance. Let us know what you think there. Um, And now what I want to do before we kick it over to audience questions. Nicole, uh, you put out a tweet. uh, I believe it was yesterday. 
And in that tweet, you uh, mentioned that there are a lot of movies uh, that are highlighting um, a lot of the issues that are being discussed in the news over the last week or two. And, and if, if it's okay with you, I, I would like to read it, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so you wrote, for my fellow non-black people, if you're looking for a film to watch this weekend, I recommend one of these uh, that might help you better understand what's currently going on in our country. You listed Blind Spotting, The Hate You Give, Black Klansman, or Just Mercy. Uh, you got some interaction from a lot of people on that, um, also providing some examples as well. And I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to uh, maybe give some examples uh, too. Now, I want to make this also very, very clear. Um, with the exception of Josh Parham, uh, the rest of us being white, um, none of us here are claiming to be experts on these issues or anything along those lines. Um these are uh, themes that have, uh, you know, occurred in these movies that we are smart enough, I'm not going to say experts, but smart enough to have recognized that there are parallels here. And there's also uh, cinematic greatness to be found in these films as well, outside of their themes from the filmmaking to the acting, the writing. And who doesn't want a good recommendation during quarantine, especially one that's hopefully going to educate as well. So... Um, I pass it over to actually um, Parm first. Uh, Parm, uh, any, 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 anything? I mean, really, a- anything at all that you would like to uh, highlight for people to check out? Yeah, there's obviously like some obvious answers that you can go to for uh, this question, but I think one that comes to mind that I really would recommend people check out if they haven't already is the documentary "I Am Not Your Negro." Mm, yeah, which, because that is such an interesting look and in really the multiple layers of problems that have been going on in this country and targeting the black community and what they've had to deal with since, you know, the very, very beginning, basically the founding of this country when people first started coming over here. And it's such an interesting discussion that goes to many different talking points. And I guarantee it that you will be all the better after watching this very incredibly smart and and riveting documentary. So if you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. And even if you have seen it, it there is no better time that it deserves another watch and another reevaluation. Awesome, Josh. Uh, really great. Nicole, um, other than the ones that you mentioned in the original post, uh, are there any others uh, that you have uh, in mind or... Yeah, I wanted to also recommend, and I don't know how this slipped in my mind whenever I made this tweet, um, If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, my God. A really beautiful movie, a movie that got very overlooked whenever it came out. Um, And I also just want to particularly throw in that blind spotting was not something that I think a lot of people saw whenever it came out. No. And that is part of why I wanted to put it into these recommendations, because I think it speaks really directly to what is happening right now. It deals with uh, a black man who witnesses a cop kill another black man. And it also deals with him and his best friend, who is white and kind of really lays out what white privilege means. And I think that that's something in particular that a lot of people need educated on right now. Um, and it's it's made by, uh, it was written by David Diggs and Rafael Casal, who also star in it. And they both grew up in Oakland. And I think that it has a lot to say to people and can really, it, it definitely helped me understand some of the issues issues that are happening on a on a deeper level and it comes from people who you know understand what they're what they're talking about 
so definitely check that one out if you didn't whenever it came out. And also, If Beale Street Could Talk is, I think, one of the most beautiful movies ever made and really speaks to what's happening right now and to um, the issues that we have with arrests and, and prison and imprisonment of black men. Uh, so definitely check that one out as well. Awesome. Really good. Love it. Michael? A movie that's 31 years old. I know many of you have seen it, but it's worth checking out again, of course, with the times that we're living in, and that's Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I mean, how how in God's name could you not think of Do the Right Thing uh, when thinking about George Floyd? It, and and also seeing the same reaction afterwards, and the same reaction to that reaction. It's it really yeah. is like incredible how that movie is three decades old and is still relevant to this day. It's both incredible and also very sad. But it certainly the themes that that movie is working with could not be more relevant today. Great choice, absolutely great choice. I, I that's one of my one of my favorite movies of all time. Love that one. Mm-hmm. Josh and I got a great podcast review on that one, actually, too. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, plug, plug, plug. You know, there is a Patreon <laughs> review of that podcast that you can check out. And, you know, Next Best Picture, Patreon. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I'll say going back even further than Do the Right Thing, um, watch Best Picture winner in the Heat of the Night mm-hmm. and marvel Ooh. how much the more things change, the more things stay the same. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, that is some. Oh, man. I have a criterion of that. I haven't watched it yet still because I'm working through some other ones right now. Oh, I should I should I should rewatch that. Yeah, Mm. that's nice. Nice call out there, Dan. Uh, For myself, I I was having a conversation with someone I won't name here, uh, but got me thinking a lot about um, the documentary OJ Made in America. And because the conversation we were having was about the looting and what, what you know, what, what, what this person I was speaking to called rioting and, you know. And I, I thought about this and I argued back and I said, hey, we all knew that OJ was guilty. The jury knew that O.J. was guilty. Everyone knew that he was guilty. Right and wrong were kind of tossed aside. It was more about a fuck you to the system for Rodney King. And also uh, not just that, but obviously years and years and years of oppression. And you can look at what's going on right now and say, oh, that's so wrong. Why why is it you know being done this way? Why can't it be done this way, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I think right and wrong at a certain point just get kind of thrown out the window and you have to look at it as this is this is a like a fuck you back to the system. Um, and believe me, the other way of trying to do things in a peaceful manner have been done before. But when it doesn't get, you know, when it when it doesn't get resolved and nothing happens, you know, it's like I hate I hate to say this is what you get, uh, but what else can be done at a certain point, you know? Also, too, it's just a really, really fascinating documentary and how it does examine uh, race during that uh, during that time and the parallels to today as well and how it hasn't uh, actually gone away. And it also examines so much about the justice system as well. I mean, that's a, that, that is a thorough documentary. I mean, 
how many hours long was that thing again? It was like like four hours, something like it, longer than that. I think. No, it was longer than that. It was like seven hours. Like, I think mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. Um, I watched it over a couple of days and I was just mesmerized by it. So, um, I'm glad nobody here said Joker. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> in, in context, <laughs> uh, but actually, I, I do. There are some other movies I do want to mention, and sure. these are movies that they're kind of more tangentially related because they're not actually American movies. But I think that they're still interesting to watch because it shows that as much as this seems to be an American problem, it really isn't. It is a global problem. And um, it's sort of this double feature you can do of both Lahaine and Les Miserables. Oh, the oh my gosh. Ass. Wow. Yeah. And, God, you know, those Lahaine are two. So good. Yeah. And they're French movies. You know, they're not about American issues. They're not set in America, but they are about the same kind of issues that we're still facing with in terms of systemic racism within communities of color and their relationship to law enforcement. And. I think Lahaine is the better movie, but Les Miserables also deals with some of these same issues, and that one you can actually find on Amazon uh, streaming right now. And I would recommend watching both of those movies, but particularly Lahaine, because it really gets into this world of oppression within communities and how that relationship with law enforcement is so filled with tension and so difficult to maneuver through and i find it to be such an incredible work that even though it's not telling an american story it still feels like it's highlighting issues that we're seeing in this country right now i will never forget during barry jenkins uh criterion closet visit he picks up lahane and goes when i was in college this was the film yeah and it's like yeah. it's like barry jenkins is telling you guys this is the movie <laughs> it's know? incredible it is oh yeah Oh, man, I was blown away when I saw that for the first time. Blown away by that one. Um, and for those that are confused, he's not talking about the musical Les Miserables, people. There was a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was a French foreign language uh, film contender that was Oscar nominated last year um, that essentially, I mean, I don't know about you guys, if you guys got this or not, but I, I thought it was like like training day, like kind of all over again to a certain degree. In many yeah, ways. I, I always I described it as it is like Lahaine meets Training Day, and it's yeah. not completely successful, but it does highlight many of the same issues. And you know, like I said, it is streaming on Amazon Prime right now, so that is mostly you know kind of easily accessible to people to see right now. Definitely, and I mean, if you want a filmography to just simply go through with a huge body of work, I mean, we've already kind of mentioned him a little bit here, but just just take a look at what Spike Lee has done. Uh, throughout his entire career, mm-hmm. pretty much every single one of his movies, in some degree or another. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, We've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think 
but nothing could be funnier than I am DB Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Okay, so uh, now we got some uh, questions from the MVP film community here. Um, let's take a look and see what they had to send in this week. Uh, let's see. Scott Curtin asks, based on everything that is occurring in the world right now with uh, COVID-19 and the protests, is it almost a certainty that our Best Picture winner is likely going to be a feel-good film to the point where it could be a Green Book-esque situation? I don't know what he means by the Green Book comparison, but what do you guys think about Best Picture winner being a feel-good movie? No, I mean, we'll look at what the crop is and we'll see what they like, and nothing's a given based on what's happening in the world. You've seen situations where they do go for the lighter movies sometimes, but then they also go for the movie that strikes the moment, like the parasites or the no country for old men. Yeah, I also think I, it's so hard to say where we'll be by the time. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think a lot of it depends on what happens in November. And I think that where our mood is going to be at that point will probably determine what the Academy will be in the mood for. Because, like, yeah, like you can imagine No Country for Old Men. That was a very dark movie that won Best Picture. And then Obama gets elected the year after and we got Slumdog Millionaire. So I think that where the mood of the country is going to be at at a certain point is very volatile right now. And who who knows? But I think that will be a big um, that will be a big moment as to what you can kind of gleam of what might happen later on. It is, you know, it's funny when you mention about the movies that uh, like Slumdog Millionaire, right. And Hurt Locker, obviously uh, the best movie um, on a war in the Middle East. Uh, it's probably been released in my opinion. Um, so that's something that's like stemming from the Bush era, but was like continued into the Barack Obama era. And then you but have the lighthearted like the Bush era too. Sure. Yeah, Totally. But then you have like the lighthearted movies of like the King's Speech, The Artist, uh, the Feel Good, uh, Argo, and Twelve Years a Slave. Um, you know, once again, winning Best Picture in a time when you have uh, a black president. And I, I, it's it's interesting how much that Moonlight win in the wake of Donald Trump winning uh, the election. I, I I think that that goes to show you, um, in many many ways that. Yeah, the election is probably going to be the biggest factor of all in terms of what wins Best Picture, I think. All right, let's see here. Ronaldo Sosa asks, this has to be the most eventful year of probably most of our lifetimes. Do you think that all of what's happened this past week will help a film like The Five Bloods, which comes out in just two weeks when it comes to award season? I assume he's asking that because it is Spike. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it being Spike it will be the biggest thing that will help it. I mean, certainly events that are happening now keep it in the conversation, but I think by the very fact that it's just a Spike Lee movie, that is going to drive most of the attention around it anyway. Yeah. I also think that like every film that comes out right now is helped by the fact that we are in quarantine. I agree with that too. So like, yeah. regardless of any other factors on it, it will be helped by the fact that it came out and that is an achievement right now. Especially for Netflix, you know, it's yeah. so easy for them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's going to dominate the conversation when it comes out because there's going to be nothing else even close to prestige that will be released around that time. So, you know, at the very mo- at the very least, it's going to grab a moment. And if it is able to create a big cultural foothold, then it's definitely going to be a big contender. How dare you knock down the awards prospects of the King of Staten Island, sir? How dare you? <laughs> I, look, I, I'm not being Oscar I'm not being serious, Dan. It's okay. Avatar movies are not one of them. <laughs> Golden Globe comedy musical. Here we go. <laughs> All right, this one comes from th- that CM guy, 1988. Um, a couple of days ago, Bianca Gardner tweeted, uh, "What were uh, four films that got you through difficult times and connected to you on an emotional level?" Um, I replied back with uh, Southpaw, The Walk, Collateral Beauty, Don't Judge Me, Haha, La La Land, because those films helped me cope my disappointment feeling uh, towards trauma back in my own life that gave me hope moving forward. Uh, from what films uh, got you guys through a difficult time and connected uh, with you on an emotional level? Um, I have I actually have a go to answer for this. Um, I have found that whenever I'm going through a very difficult time in my life, uh, whether it's the passing of a loved one or um, just feeling very beat up emotionally, mentally over something or just gradually over time, um, I always pop in the Shawshank Redemption because that is a movie that to me is just sheer uh, commitment in the face of adversity and uh, triumphant redemption at the very very end uh that just gives me continuous hope and it is one of the best feel-good endings to a movie i think i've ever ever seen i I always feel ready to conquer the world after every time i watch the shawshank redemption Hmm. interesting yeah um i feel like this is an answer that i've probably given before um but it's a movie that has just such like many different applications i feel that i could use in my life and in terms of just maybe returning me back to a time when things were simpler and I could be more hopeful <laughs> about the world. Uh, I think it is the wizard of Oz. Um, that's a movie that I've loved ever since I was very, very little. It is one of the kind of Genesis points of me getting into movies. And it takes me back to moments of connectivity with my family of falling in love with the magic of movies and thinking that these fantastical worlds are possible to just sort of, dive into and that is certainly a movie that whenever i have an opportunity to watch it i take it because it really does bring me an amount of joy that is kind of untapped in any other film that i watch so it definitely is one that whenever i feel down about anything it it's sort of an immediate lifting of my spirits when i watch it nice um for me the the one that i always come back to when i'm really just feeling down about everything is Amelie. Oh, because it's just like something about this particular vision of France that is just has this really warm feeling to it. And just everyone in that movie, like even the, you know, the bad guys. And I use heavy, heavy air quotes around that is still kind of nice. And, uh, capable of change and becoming a better person and i everything about that movie makes me feel all the warm fuzzies even when i'm feeling blue so 
some of some of the let me tell you something in terms of the visuals of that movie that's one of the most visually <sighs> incredible movies like i i've ever seen bruno del bono mm-hmm. yes. absolutely <laughs> what about you nicole in terms of a movie that got me through a difficult time um and this might not surprise people but i was going through a bit of a rough time when mary queen of scots came out and it really helped me. It reminded me of a time in my life that was better because um, I had uh, been interning at a theater uh, that the director of the film was the artistic director of while she was working on the movie. And it also kind of just inspired me because that's the kind of art that, you know, I, I really um, admire and would like to, you know, have some sort of impact on uh, sharing with people. And I saw that a lot. And I really, it just helped me through a very rough patch in my life and was kind of the bright light that I needed. So now whenever I rewatch it, I'm kind of reminded of that. And it's a strange movie in some ways to be like, this is my comfort film. Um, But it really just always kind of reminds me of finding hope in hard times. You're inferior. (laughs) (laughs) my best margot robbie impression ladies and gentlemen (laughs) oh man i actually um i've been meaning to give that a rewatch um a a couple of times actually because i'm I'm, i am a fan of a lot of aspects of that movie and i that's a kind of movie that when it comes out during that time of the year and it's surrounded by all these other contenders right it can almost feel uh diminished as a result by comparison to the other movies of terms of quality that you're watching that i don't feel like i gave it a fair shake as much uh when it originally came out i would i definitely want to revisit it for sure i also feel like a lot of people didn't recognize like how good it is for the fact that it's a directorial debut Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All righty, Michael, and don't say Sound of Music. You know, I could say Sound of Music. I could. You're say gonna, don't say Fiddler on the Roof. Don't say Mary Poppins. <laughs> I am taking away all of your options, sir. Yes, I, I, I could say any of them. However, you'll be happy to know that that's not. I didn't settle on any of them. Okay. Yeah, right. Where I am settling though, and this probably won't come as a surprise either. So you know, don't brace for anything. All uh, right. I'm going with something's got to give. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not a surprise. <laughs> no, uh, but I. <laughs> but it's perfect. That is a go. I I I laugh because that that's actually a go to movie between me and one of my sisters. Um, we watched that movie when it came out in two thousand three, and we loved it then, and we still love it today. And it's yeah, I agree. I say that not because it's the only comfort movie. It's not. There's so many other wonderful ones out there. But if I'm ever feeling down or like. I want to think of something happy to look forward to in life. I think, yes, one day I will have a house like that and a kitchen like that. And uh, yes, uh, wonderful aspirational things to look forward to. So you go, Diane Keaton, own that. That that montage of her writing the play and she's just crying continuously (laughs) always makes me laugh every single time. (laughs) Oh, man. Really, really good stuff. Um, It's really cool that she got an Oscar nomination for that movie. I love Charlie's Theron and Monster, but if I were an Academy member, I would uh, think. No, Michael. Diane Keaton, the second one. For that. <laughs> oh, oh no, My- Michael, oh, you 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 had no. me, you had me, and then and then ah, oh, sorry, man, <laughs> I can't get on board with that. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. That's all right. All righty. Uh, next question here. 
Lindy Erickson asks, do you think the reception for Tenet could be a little skewed as it will be most people's first time back in the theater in months and our first time seeing a major Oscar contender maybe even in longer? Well, we don't know if Tenet is a surefire Oscar contender yet. That's that's number one. I mean, we don't even know if it's good. <laughs> you know? No. I, I've, I've been waiting for the day where Nolan has a true, I mean, like true misfire. Um, not a mixed reception like Interstellar or Dark Knight Rises. I'm talking like full-fledged, true, insane heavy misfire because, okay, one, he definitely continues to lean into uh, criticisms and tropes that people have associated with him. And I, I, I really have not ever seen him like deviate away from that. I'm sure people might get tired of that at a certain point. And also, too, if he continues making these like really heady scripts, at what point are people just going to be like, this doesn't make any sense. This is not good because I don't understand it. I, I, I like I don't I don't I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, will he turn into Francis Ford Coppola? <laughs> I'm not going that far. Oh. Michael. <laughs> um, I did read the he- I did read the headline note the other day, just really quick, saying that um uh, because of its $200 million price tag and because it's an original movie, um, it's an achievement for John David Washington to be, um, uh, like, it's the, high, it's the highest uh, budgeted film starring a black uh, actor in a non-franchise, like, original film. So that's really cool. So I, I, I admire that he cast a black lead for the first time in any of his movies. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm praying that Tenet, even though the marketing for it has skewed very much closely to something like Inception, I'm 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 like really, really hoping that it's something different. You know, just give us something a little bit different. That's all. I do think that people are gonna be a little bit skewed though, especially if it does end up being the first thing that people see back in theaters. I think people will be kinder to it. Especially you think we've gotten a little bit used to watching things like, you know, smaller indie films or things like what was it, Lovebirds? Um so I do think to a certain extent, maybe our, I don't want to say our standards have fallen, but we've gotten used to a different type of film. So I think that there's something to be said that it is going to be probably maybe like one of the first big Oscar hopefuls that people will see. Yeah. Um, so I could definitely see reactions in like initial reactions to it being kinder. And like three months later, people being like, oh yeah, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> Such a foreign concept for a Christopher Nolan movie. People would be hyperbolic <laughs> about it at first and realize they were being over the top. I, I can't imagine that happening to a Nolan. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, all righty. Even uh, May. We're going to end today with Even May. Choose what movie the actor or filmmaker should have won an Oscar for, but you are knowingly replacing the winner of that year. First up. Oh, God. I know. Here we go, people. First up, the Oscarless winner and nominated John Goodman. Hmm. Ooh. Um, I really do think that he could have won for like either Barton Fink or The Big Lebowski. I love both of those performances so much. Love him in Big Lebowski. Yeah, I probably would say Big Lebowski would be my pick. Um. And I think that's taking it away from James Coburn for Affliction mm. in 98. Which, that's mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yes, that's okay. I, I could live with that. 
I could live with that. Um, if okay, so damn it, this is so this is should have won an Oscar for not just a nomination because I would say for a nomination I would easily put him in for Tevin Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, I was saying that too. But if I do that, then I'm knowingly taking the Oscar away from um, Mahershala. Uh, wait, that was uh, Mahershala Ali for uh, yeah, yeah. for Moonlight. I, with that. I could do that. I don't know. That's tough for me. I, he gets one two years later, though. I know, and that's what I know. I know. Sorry, not uh, from rehearsal yeah, that year, absolutely not. I mean, I I'm not the biggest fan of that performance in Moonlight because uh, you know screen time and everything else. But oh man, all right. I, you know what? I I think I think Josh's compromise of Affliction and uh, James Coburn is probably the best best route to go there. Well, what do you think about him and Barton Fink? Mm, that would be 1991 so Maybe that would be taken away from jack, jack palin oh oh pff. yeah that can be too never mind done signed sealed delivered <laughs> you don't want to see the one arm push-ups i'm sure we would have got an opportunity to see that at some point <laughs> whether it was on a talk show or whatever you know that's okay i'm cool with that I mean, I I love both of those performances from him in Barton Fink and The Big Lebowski, but there was just something special about him in The Big Lebowski that every time he's on screen, I'm just dying of laughter no matter Sterical. how many times I've seen it. Shut up, Donnie. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> Remember when we all thought he was going to get a nomination for Argo for a brief second? Should've. I mean, like, if you were going to nominate somebody from that movie, like, he was right there. He makes more sense than Alan Arkin. Definitely. Absolutely. But Alan Arkin did a fantastic job of playing me. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, Laura Linney. Oh, Ooh. Laura Linney. So, hmm. Oh, no. Okay. Can I just say, can I just say season three of uh, Ozark, please? And just <laughs> call it a day. <laughs> what year was uh, You Can Count On Me? That was 2000 against Julia Roberts, which I can't do. Yeah, I can't do. Th- I, that's the thing. Like, I don't think she's ever been the best in any given year because that I mean, 2000 Sa- Savages was 2007, which I'm not yeah. taking away from Marianne Cotillard. No, okay. no, I can't either. And Kinsey was 04. She was supporting in that year, right? Right. Yeah, yeah that was Kate Blanchett who won. Um, what I think I could do that. Honestly. We're gonna get like, Kate I, later for Blue Jasmine, so yeah. Yeah, if we have to do it at any point, I think that would be the one. Maybe I don't even think she's that great in Kinsey, but well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go back a year to where mm-hmm. she wasn't nominated, but could have been. And oh, I'll give her the River. Mystic River over Renee Zellweger and Cold Mountain. <laughs> That's easy to do. Yeah, but I, uh... I mean, she wouldn't be like my personal pick in that category, but yeah. I would prefer over Renee Zellweger. Right. Yeah, my personal pick wasn't even nominated. That was Ellen DeGeneres for Finding Nemo. Yeah, I think I think Marsha Gay Harden is better than her in Mystic River to the point she where... Is, but if you have to take it away from Renee, I mean, that's just mm-hmm. do one thing at a time here, and that's the big thing. <laughs> no, you know what? I'll go I'll go with the, the Kinsey uh, Blanchett choice. I'll, I'll go with that one. Kinsey's a really good movie that no one talks about anymore. Oh. And there's some really great performances there. Wait. Hold on. I have mm-hmm. to I have to check something, but um I think I just found it. I think I just yeah, okay. I'm going to be a little controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. because I really love the winner that year, but she should have been nominated and won in 1998 for the Truman Show. Oh. That's look, good. I love Judy Dench and Shakespeare in Love, but 
come on. <laughs> Ooh, that is no, we all we all know what that Judy Dench win was. That's true. <laughs> yeah. or let's well, give I... it to her for Congo. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody deserves an award for Congo. <laughs> I, 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 I do like. Oh, I do like that choice, Dan. Dan, that's. I, you know, I think I'll go with that one now. That's an even better option. Yeah, I might have to second that one, too. I, I really do like that pick. And those who have been following Oscars for a while will remember that once upon a time, there was a movie called Hyde Park on Hudson that many people were predicting about oh, actress with. God. Uh, yes, that that interesting film. <laughs> uh. All right. Uh, next up, Master of Suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, I mean, this is really, really, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's difficult because there are so many yeah. options, mm-hmm. but like, how did he not win best director for Rebecca? Uh, because the grapes of wrath. Okay. All right. Right. That was that year. Fine. Fine. But other than but that, it's the best picture winner though. Like, yeah, yeah it's kind of, eh. here's the annoying thing. The annoying thing is that John Ford won again the next year for how green was my valley. <laughs> right. Um, but I, plus he'd already won beforehand. Look, for the inf- okay. Here's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Uh, the apartment is a stone cold classic. Oh no, Dan. Psycho. It's fucking psycho. Just go yeah. back two years. It's so easy to take away from Vincent Minnelli for Gigi and give it to him for uh, Vertigo. Um, I could do that. Yeah, or, I could do that too. But he was actually go... nominated for Psycho and didn't win, which is just like... Yeah. <laughs> or another thing you could do, go to his next movie, The Birds. I mean, that's better than Tom Jones. Oh. Well, most okay. things are better than Tom Jones. Exactly. <laughs> So. No, I don't like the birds. <laughs> you don't like the birds? I don't like the birds. It's my least favorite of his big classic movies. This is controversial, but I would take it from... I, I would give it to him in 54 for Rear Window. And take it from... That's uh, on is the waterfront. Waterfront? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, that is definitely a Sophie's choice. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. But Rear Window is my favorite Hitchcock, so I'm, like, kind of biased there. But the way that everything is shot for the fact that most of it happens, like, inside looking out. Yeah. I just think it's brilliant. But fuck, On the Waterfront is... Uh, Yeah, On the Waterfront is... is Oh, God, that's really hard. I mean... I need to yeah, move off of this. Um, I, I can't choose between those two. I'm going with the Vertigo <laughs> one. That that is that is easy. That's that's Vertigo is my favorite Hitchcock as well. So that's easy for me. I mm-hmm. can't. I don't really like Vertigo. Sorry. So I'm not. Even though I don't really like Gigi either, I don't. Vertigo is not my favorite of his films. So you're going with the Rear Window, or are you, are you going with the Birds option? <sighs> oh God, this is so difficult. Actually, I think I'm going to go with Rebecca. Ah. Oh. Okay. Just for the symmetry of the best picture win. Okay, you theater fans, Angela Lansbury. Oh my goodness. Where do we begin? Uh... Well, I just have to go back and double check my Oscar history for this year, but I think I know what my answer is. Mm-hmm. If you say bed knobs and broomsticks. No, it's not bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's see, give me just one moment here. Hmm. Because like the one that comes to my mind immediately is um, Manchurian Candidate. Right, that's what I was thinking of. 
But it's yeah. Patty Duke have one that year for the miracle yeah. work. No, it. I would give it to her in '44 for Gaslight over Ethel Barrymore in None But the Lonely Heart, a film nobody remembers and a performance less people remember. I, I haven't seen it. I have seen Gaslight, so I'll just go with that one. Yeah, I'm good with that. <laughs> hmm. You know what? I might still do it for Manchurian Candidate. Wonderful as Patty Duke is. That, that's I, I think I would another too. iconic performance. And the other thing that I think maybe you can also rationalize with that is Patty Duke probably is not really supporting in that movie that she's right. Yeah. Seen. Yeah. But she's you know, that's one of the best performances to ever win an Oscar. It's yeah. so, so I'm so not good. taking it away from her. <laughs> I, I, I understand. I do. I would totally give Angela Lanzari a nomination, not a win. No, just a nomination <laughs> in 91 for Beauty and the Beast. I mean, if we were doing if we were doing voiceover performances for Oscars, you know. Yeah. If there was a voiceover category at the Oscars, I think that she would have several awards. Yeah, I don't mind adding a voiceover performances to my actual lineups for, you know, supporting actor, supporting actress, even lead. If it's good enough, yeah. I don't mind putting it in there. And that's one that I think really rises up to the occasion. Okay, uh, next up, David Lynch. Can I say none? <laughs> uh, no, well, um... Uh, Let's see, I'm sure we could find a way to make this work. I mean... What year was Mulholland Drive? I was going to say, that's the Ron Howard Beautiful Mind year. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he, he wouldn't, he still wouldn't have been my pick that year because Peter Jackson and Robert Altman, but I mean, it's as good a time as any. That was one of the most incredible, like, director lineups, yeah. and they went with the most conventional, safest choice imaginable. <laughs> Wait, what year was The Fly? 86. That. that was Cronenberg. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> David? Uh, but but 86 is also the year of Blue Velvet, which he was nominated yeah, for. Yeah, and he was nominated for that. Oh, that was Platoon. Um, I can't I can't do that yeah. over uh, Stone. I'm taking it away from Oliver Stone. <laughs> no, but for Platoon, though? Platoon is yeah, still weird. Oliver Stone. I, I get that. I, listen, Michael, I understand that. Well, fine, but, <laughs> fine. Would you rather give it to Woody Allen for Hannah and her sisters? That's the thing. I would end up giving it to him for Hannah and her sisters. See, there you go. So you have no space to speak about that. I know, but if we're just yeah. talking about <laughs> taking it away from Oliver Stone, that's a very enticing proposition. All right. So listen, I can't. I can't do it for the Elephant Man because I, I'm actually I'm actually one of the few people that likes ordinary people. So I think people have come around on ordinary people. It's not that thing that oh, a beat raising bull. We can't like it anymore. People really do enjoy that movie now. I agree. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, Blue Velvet. I- I'm sorry, I can't. I-, I I can't do it over Oliver Stone for Platoon. That movie's just directed way too well. Uh, Lost Highway. No, that he has an honorary Oscar, not a competitive one. It, just just do it from Holland Drive and call it a day. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm not I doing that. Mind. I would say Wild at Heart. If I have to pick something, because I really don't like his movies all that much, if I had to pick something, I'd probably would say Wild at Heart. I mean, it's over Kevin Costner for Dance with Wolves. So sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite david lynch movie is actually the straight story i mean that's not surprising oh, to I'm me at all a good one too. <laughs> yeah. the most on david lynch movie is michael schwartz's favorite david lynch movie i but mean come on good movie. I it mean, is a good on. movie the, yeah. the g-rated disney one is my favorite but i'm still not i'm still not giving it to him for over spielberg for saving private ryan no 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 it's 99 which is american beauty but i'm not doing that either yeah yeah no i, I wouldn't do that either actually you're right I'm still, I still marvel that he even made that movie, though. Like, 
<laughs> oh, oh yeah. I love the story about how he had to like actually visit the family to explain his intentions because just hearing right. David Lynch wants to make a movie about your father, they're like, uh, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up, Judy Garland. Okay. Contest over. Come- bye bye, Chris Kelly. <laughs> Is there any question that like the greatest performance by anyone in anything ever? Should not have won an Oscar. Like, come on. Like, that's like one of the three greatest performances of all time. So I don't have any reason to deny that. That's yeah, I'm not gonna mention anything else. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I'm not doing Judgment at Nuremberg over Rita Moreno. Like, that's that's not happening. And not doing Wizard of Oz over Vivian Leigh. No. So the yeah. only answer is A Star Is Born. Yeah. And that's an, and that's just an easy call to begin with. All right. Yeah. See. Moving on. Last one, Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly. Um, he was never nominated, right, for acting? No, he was. Yeah, he was nominated, uh, wait, for acting? Yeah. yeah. Oh, um. Yeah, was he nominated no. for supporting for? Oh, here, Anchors Away. Or Anchors Best Away. Actor. No, he did get lead for Anchors Away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that year, I might have given it to him. That wasn't a great category. Um, so in 1952, one director in 52? That was John Ford for The Quiet Man. Yeah, I think I would do him winning director for Singing in the Rain. Because that was yeah. John Ford's fourth Oscar by that point, and he didn't need another one. Uh, enough already, yeah. The Quiet Man is good, but... I, I like The Quiet Man also, but like Best Director winner, and especially for his fourth one at that point, I, yeah, I think Singing in the Rain little... is a far yeah. better directorial achievement. I mean... Ugh. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I honestly, honestly I, I would jump on that. The reason that I wouldn't give him the actor win that year is because it's Gary Cooper in High Noon, which is. Oh yeah, no, that ain't happening. The director win, no, I can fully, fully get behind. I was yeah. looking for that, and I'm like, well, I can't take it away from Gary Cooper. But then you reminded me that he was director also, so absolutely, I will do yeah, that. Co- yeah, co-director with uh, Stanley uh, Donen. Yeah, and he never won an Oscar either, so you get nope. two for right there. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Stanley Donnan, what a legend. Maybe uh, maybe it could have gotten nominated for Best Picture under those circumstances. Who knows? They did not like Singing they in the Rain. They didn't. It yeah. only got two nominations. Crazy. Is, it's, a cr- it's a crime, honestly. It's, it's a super <laughs> crime. At least they gave it to Gene when you consider what won Best Picture that year. <laughs> <laughs> a literal train wreck. Yes. <laughs> the worst Best Picture winner of all time. Close to it, at the very <sighs> least. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it here uh, for this episode of the Next Best Picture podcast. Um, I don't want to harp uh, so much uh, on what we were talking about earlier. I think everything that needs to be said has been said, and it was said at the top of the show, uh, most importantly. So with that said, all I will say is be safe, protect each other. To Nicole's point, call out racism when you hear it. Hold people accountable. And hold also uh, your politicians, your local leaders accountable as well. And what's the what's the phrase from JFK? Let justice be done or to heaven shall fall. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where we're at right now. Michael, you can find me on Twitter at M Schwartz 95. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Nicole, 
Um, one final thing I just want to say is to remember if you are going to protest to stay safe and stay healthy and wear a mask, it will help protect you from uh, everything with the pandemic and also help you remain anonymous. So it's kind of a double thing there. Uh, but you can find me at Nicole Ackman 16. All right. Awesome. Dan Bear. Uh, I, you can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film and just love one another. Be kind to one another. And in the words of my favorite film of last year, look for the helpers. Ooh, nice. Josh? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And, you, you know, the world is, well, it, it's still very rough right now. But always remember that it is not over. The fight isn't over, and it probably will never be over. And it takes a lot of active participation to see change done. Um, it can seem overwhelming, but it is possible. But it's only possible if you keep at it and you hold people accountable and you get involved in action. So keep doing that and know that it will make a difference. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for everyone for listening to episode 196 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time.